We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could give this feeling. I wish I could give this feeling. All right, everybody, welcome to The Corner. I'm Kel Dansby. It's your boy, Andreas Hale. And we got a great show for you guys today. If this is your first time listening, we talk hip-hop, MMA, boxing, and wrestling, but we kind of mix it up and give it our own twist. You're going to like today's show. We got to start off with Drake and Future taking the internet by storm. The mixtape, album, whatever it is, man, it came out, and everyone's loving it. I hear classic everywhere. Not me. Andres doesn't feel that way. No. And, and you know what? We, we know he's not part of the Future Hive. He ain't with that whole thing. But he's not feeling the album. He's really not feeling this article that came out. Yeah, I mean, before we start, let's, let's tell him what else is on the show because we're about to spend a lot of time on this topic. And people are going to be like, I thought this was a boxing MMA wrestling show. We talk but, everything. Yeah, so what else we got? We're talking about Night of Champions, uh, all-star extravaganza in the wrestling world. We're talking about Fedor signing to have a fight in Japan, skirting UFC. What else for we now? Yeah. Uh, we have Bellator. Yeah, of course. They had Bellator. their big weekend. Uh, Phil Davis, Tito Ortiz. We're talking some UFC stuff. It was a quiet week for UFC. Yeah, very quiet. Uh, but John Jones has his case coming up, so we might mention John. And then we have boxing. Deontay Wilder comes back. It's super quiet, super hush-hush. No yeah. one cares. It's like a cupcake fight, but we're going to talk about it. We'll touch on Triple G. His fight's still upcoming. Throwing some other stuff along the way. Of course. But now, hip-hop-wise, it's all about Future and Drake, man. All right. So, I'm going to start it with this. The Future, Drake, mixtape, What a Time to Be Alive, should be titled What a Time It Is to Be Riding the Hype Train. Because the the project was all hype. All hype. It was dope before it even dropped for most people. And I have a problem with that. Because when hype precedes the actual content, 
all you do is have people screaming classic before it drops. Like countdown clocks are a scary thing. When an album just drops out of nowhere, people like freak out and they got to digest it for a minute. But a countdown clock, there were cats like, oh, this is going to be classic. Da, da, da. I, didn't, I didn't think it was that good. I didn't think it was that good either. I mean, I like probably three songs off of the project where I really like be like, okay, I can listen to that again. Uh, 30 for 30 is the best song on the whole project. It's a Drake song. And it's all Drake. That's a Drake, that's so, like a, a Drake song that could have made his album. That's like a 5 a.m. in Toronto type joint. I thought it was the third Meek Mill diss because they were all <laughs> like, they're all sports themed. Right. And then he mentions Meek in it. You know, we retire your jersey, blah, blah, blah. I think it's the third Meek disc that never came out that he was supposed to debut at OVO. He was just like, yo, we're holding on to this. Throw this shit at the end. Yeah, I mean. And then the rest felt like it, it leftovers a, from Future's album where Drake was just like, yo, let me hop on that. I'm trying to get out of this cash money deal. Yeah, it felt like every song was like Future made these songs. He was hanging out with Drake one night. And he, Drake was like, play me your shit. Yeah. And Future was like, all right, I'll play you my shit. And he played it. And Drake was like, let me hop on that. He jumped on this. Let me hop on. Like, it wasn't until about the fourth or fifth song into the project that I was like, there's a song that actually sounds like a Drake song. These all felt like a, a bunch of songs guest starring Drake. And you can tell that because Drake has the third verse on everything or a second verse on everything. There's their future dominant. And you can tell Future had these songs and Drake jumped on them. There's what? One song other than 30 for 30 where Drake has the first verse. So it's like, cool. And I think uh, 40 has the credits on that one. Right. So... It's like, okay, cool, that might be a tandem song where Future had six songs laying around, Drake had one, and then they maybe recorded two in the span of six days. And was like, here's a project, everyone's going to go buy it. Again, it's not the worst thing. Like People are going to think I'm shitting on it. It's not the worst project at all. There are some joints on there. Shit's not dope, though. There's nah. some dope beats. Yeah. It, it's not, not a dope project, Metro hip-hop-wise. Boom, Metro Boomin does his thing. Um, Drake, lyrically, is, it felt a little lazy on the album. Uh, but I know a lot of people have been saying that about Drake lately. Picks up Future's whole style. Like, I yeah, don't... he kind of co-ops the entire thing. Yeah. Um, because other than that, like, what do you really have? You know, it's really a Metro Boomin showcase with Future and Drake doing some things. So there's an article that came out, and, and I have a huge problem with it. It came out on Complex, and um, it's basically... It's called All You Real Rap Fans Need to Stop Hating on What a Time to Be Alive. I hated the title, first of all. Real Rap Fans. All You Real Rap Fans. So he's not a real rap fan. So I don't understand. Like, what are we doing Is this here? real rap? Is Future a rapper? We got to get to that later. See, I don't, I don't think so. I don't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think so. But anyway, and it starts off right off the rip. It says, you old head, super lyrical motherfuckers need to get over yourselves. <laughs> I have a problem with this. Shots fired. <laughs> because we're in an industry now where... The, young, the younger artists, the supposedly younger artists that make younger music, supposedly, because let's be clear, Future's 31 years old, 2 Chainz is 38 years old, but they make music that supposedly appeals to a younger demographic. Future's only 31? Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. I thought he was older. <laughs> but he's 31. Drake's my age, so. So what necessarily constitutes an old head, right? Because I'm older, it doesn't connect with me? Future's 31. Kendrick Lamar is 28, and I guarantee you that there's that his audience does, doesn't consist of just younger cats or older cats, but there are so many people that say only old heads like that shit. This article is basically roasting old heads, or what, you, what he should have used the term hip-hop elitist, because honestly, there's 20-year-olds that don't fuck with Future. There's 25-year-olds that don't, like, I just don't get it. Yeah, it has nothing to do with age. No. So why are we stuck in this... 
this paradox of people saying, oh, you're too old when the rappers that you enjoy are older than you. Young Thug is young. And there are old cats who enjoy Young Thug's music. Oh, I, I haven't met not one, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I haven't met him either. But I know that there are, there are a few that will bump a Young Thug out. But when it comes to this Drake Future mixtape, why can't it just be whack? Why does it have to do with anything that means, oh, I'm too old to understand this? Why can't I just say shitty music is shitty music? <laughs> why, why does it have or to mediocre. be? Or In this case, it's mediocre yeah. music. And, and it's, you know what? For the people who love Future, because they're out there. And for course. the people who love Drake, that's cool. You can be a fan. If you can look me in the eye and say this is their best work, you're a liar. Because it's not. It's neither of their best work. And they just came together to give you extra music. And I can understand. Be appreciative of that. But don't overhype it. And, and this guy, my biggest gripe with the article was, well, you don't want to play Lupe or Talib Kweli and all this stuff in a party. This is party music. One, to me, this wasn't party music. Nah. The beats weren't upbeat. This isn't Migos. This isn't Ray Schremer. It, that's party music. I enjoy party music. I've been to South By, heard party music, got me hype. I've been drunk, listened to that music, got me hype. This isn't party music. Drake has party music. Future has party music. This was not it. This is trap music. This is stunning because I got diamonds in my chain Listen, I don't got diamonds in my chain. Maybe I don't relate. But it's not party music to me. It's not everyday listening music to me. So I don't understand what his case is. You can't say it's super lyrical or anything like that because it's not. I don't understand what makes it that good. Well, see, the thing he said, he called it, he said he doesn't, he can't be listening to Talib Kweli. First of all, his article's written like the shit was on a message board. That's my first problem. It was poorly written. Yes, it was. It, and not... not not hating to my man Angel nah. Diaz who wrote this over a complex, cool. but it doesn't sound like it came from a journalist. That's my point. It felt like a message board rant, right? But he said, "Can't be listening to Lil Kwali rap off beating Lupe Fiasco deep cuts at a barbecue." I don't know about you, but I've listened to Lupe Fiasco and Lil Kwali at a barbecue, and the shit didn't fuck up my vibe whatsoever. If you if you want to say in the club, right, then I can see your case. Like if you don't want to listen to Lupe. Um, all black everything in the club, that's on you. Whatever. But his case, the case is weak. I don't understand. Like, what are we doing here? I'm tired of people who don't live in the culture trying to call things real or not real. Not saying that this cat did so, but what what is real rap? They, like, how many people really identify with future lyrics? How many people have really sipped on lean and can say, I identify with that guy? I get it. Diamonds are dancing. That is my style. No, it's yeah, not. Yeah, like, no one got diamonds dancing on their chest. I, I guess that's another problem. Like, I don't know who he's caping up for. Because the article seems as though he was caping up for someone. For right. a group of people. Well, it seemed like a who group of people. Who is this group of people that you're caping up for and dissing, quote-unquote, old heads for? So like, who's attacking you? He seemed like he was of the ilk that likes Future, Drake, Rakim. And he, he says, I can like all of that. That's great. You can like everything you want. And... I don't have a problem with that. But the fa for the fact that he continuously uses the term old head and blames old <laughs> heads for saying that the album's not good, like you're not constituting for the fact that there are thousands of th upon thousands of kids that are like 18 or like this mixtape's not good. They're not old heads. They're just calling a spade a spade. If they didn't like it, they didn't like it. That doesn't mean they're hating, quote unquote, from Common. 
Like, just because I like something doesn't mean it's, it's, it's old, new. Like, I like Kendrick. Yeah. I like Rakim. I bump Biggie. Like, th- there's kids out here. If, if Does it make you an old head to like Nas' Illmatic? I think you just recognize good music. You, we you recognize what he would call real hip-hop. Because he used that several times. Real hip-hop. So, this isn't real hip-hop then, right. I'm guessing. Is that unreal hip-hop? Is this, is this what he's saying? So Marvel Comics hip-hop? Is this superhero shit? What like, are we doing? If this isn't real hip-hop, but yet Drake is the greatest right now. That, I hate that double standard. Is Drake the greatest rapper right now? Because these people would say that he is. So does he have to, has to live up to the standards of real hip-hop? If you're the greatest rapper, let's put your bars on the same level as everyone else's. And when they become mediocre, we should be able to say those are mediocre without it being hating. Because that's what real hip-hop is. It is honest critique. It is ups and downs. It is this is really good, this isn't. Drake has the talent to be really good. He's had projects where he is really good lyrically. This was not that. No, this was a, to me, this was a subpar lyrical effort from Drake. Hearing what we've heard from Drake. Here's the thing about Drake. I've always respected Drake because he has real hip-hop roots. And I use that with the quote fingers in the air. <laughs> because he, he listened to Dilla. You know, he listened to Little Brother. He listened to underground hip-hop. He knows his roots. However, he also understands the aesthetic that he's in today. He understands the current musical climate. And there's a lot of things that he likes, like James Blake, for instance. He likes alternative stuff as well. And he incorporates all that into his music. And people will say, like, he's too emotional. But that's hip-hop. That is. Like, there's an interview that never came out that me and Shake did with Slug from Atmosphere where I asked him, I was like, you were, like, the first emo rapper. Like, Slug was before Drake. I guarantee you Drake has listened to Slug. Like, self-effacing, tearing myself down, I have issues. Like, Drake isn't the first rapper that does it, but he does it very well. Exactly. And it's still hip-hop. So I get it when you say hip-hop elitists, not hip-hop heads. Hip-hop elitists say, well, you can't be emotional on rap. Well, yes, you can. That's the, that's the core of hip-hop. I mean, you, you tell not necessarily your best of times. Because people got so wrapped up in hip-hop has to be explaining the best of times. Right. Popping bottles and necklaces and chains. The core of hip-hop was telling the worst of times. Right. Whatever that may be. Whether you're Biggie rapping about selling drugs, Nas rapping about seeing everyone in your projects running through, you know, with guns and all this. Slick Rick telling stories about that. You go earlier than that, just telling the ills of the world. And then people started telling their personal ills. You have people like Eminem, Joe Budden, all that. Like, there's people who are really good at telling the worst shit about them. That's hip-hop. Whether you do it about your hood, your personal stuff, your family, that's what it's about. And Drake does that really well. Regardless if it's women at the time, uh, people making fun of him being on Degrazzi and the struggle he had to do transitioning. He's good at that. But once again, none of that was prevalent here. Yeah, we're in another generation too, right? So all rappers, just like all ball players, like Kobe Bryant was a perfect example. All ball players don't call, come from the hood. All rappers don't live in Compton in New York, right? We come from all different places and have different backgrounds. And it also reflects the climate that we live in today where – Every kid didn't grow up in the hood that wants to rap and wants to talk about his struggles. Drake was, isn't a hood kid. Drake is articulate. Drake is, he's, he was an actor. He's, he's not new to money. So he's an artist that reflects the current social climate that he grew up in. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't make him any less real than anybody else. 
where I have a problem is that these people are saying, okay, well, this is real, this is not real. And, like, look, Lupe roasted this kid on Twitter for the article. Well-deserved. I, I wish so. Lupe would have just crushed him on a beat, though. Like, I've been... <laughs> Like, the first tweet by Lupe was, don't make me SLR him. And I was like, please do it. Jesus Christ. Like, right? just take any one of the beats off of this Future and Drake project and just spit for six minutes. And Lupe will show you what it's supposed to sound like on top of these dope-ass beats. Yeah. And, I mean, that's always been the scary thing. And I, I, I have to use Lupe as a perfect example of this. Some rappers just come at the wrong times. Lupe kind of came at the wrong time. Like, everything Lupe's doing today... Well, back then is being done today by a number of artists, from the Kendrick Lamars to the Drakes. Everybody's doing what Lupe did and being like super political, being able to have an opinion because Lupe said a bunch of unpopular shit about Barack Obama. Definitely. He sold a lot of shit, though. He sold a lot of records to be like he did in the wrong generation. But he struggled because if he was an indie artist, had to be on an indie label and doing his own thing, he would have never ran into the problems that he had at Atlantic. Very true. I mean, I remember sitting down with Lupe and discussing lasers and how difficult it was for him to get this, like the compromises that he had to make to get this album together. You don't have to do that today. You just make what the fuck you want, put it on your own shit. You ain't got to worry about it. What? Like this Metro Boomin', I mean, this future Drake project, then no label was like, hey, don't do that. Too late. Done. It's out. See ya. Yep. To the moon. Because you don't need, that, that's the difference though. Like not to get too far off topic, physical copies of shit are dead. So you can cut out the middleman. Like, everyone was a distributor. Like, you went to these major labels for distribution, primarily. Like, they had to print the physical copies. You needed right. the money to print the physical copies. The hell with physical copies. You can put that shit out two weeks later on Best Buy if you want. But it drops right now on iTunes. It's and available. you're good. And you don't need a middleman. You don't need a record label to put shit on iTunes. I mean, you put this podcast on iTunes. It's, it's not that difficult. Right. Like, you don't need the big label behind you to get your music to the masses anymore. So it's changed the game. So the other thing that is interesting is that they, this, this article acts like we didn't go through this 10 years ago with, like, the Franchise Boys, D4L. There's a bunch of shitty music out there. Listen, Shawty Lowe. Shawty <laughs> Lowe got some hits. But Say what you want. There was a bunch of music that came out that was classified as young people's music. And I was younger, and I still didn't like the shit. I didn't like it then. I don't like it now. It's not because I'm older. It's not because I was younger. It's just I didn't like it. It's I didn't like my that taste. shit either. And, and I can't dance. So <laughs> it wasn't for me. But we, we're acting because he's like, you know, don't worry, old heads. You're just living in the future. No, we've been through this before. The shiny suit era was a perfect example about a bunch of shit that they were like, oh, you're just hating. You're not moving with the times. But how much of that stuff is really sticking with us today? Like, I'm listening to Black Star, and people call that album a classic. I don't know too many people that call Diddy's album No Way Out a classic. <laughs> I mean, none of that stuff sticks, but it's quick money. And that's the only thing people kind of go for. That's in every genre of music, though. Every single genre has that. I mean, rock went through the same shit. But see, rock at least respects its elders and respects the history of the music. Hip-hop doesn't do that. Hip-hop tries to get you out of here once you get a certain age. Rock was smart enough to have different genres within rock, which I don't think hip-hop is yet to have. Because you went from the you know eight, 70s bands and all this shit, 80s came in, there's glam rock, where people are like, this is mine. You can have yours, we respect that, but this is mine. Then there was grunge, there's uh, punk rock. There was different phases, and they just gave shit different names. And then respected the rest. So other people could still do the rest 
and then have their own. Hip-hop doesn't have emo rap or now dance rap. And then now Drake and fucking Future are, what, crooner rap. Like, so you could you can sing and don't worry about being lyrical. And this is our lane. This is your lane. Let's do different stuff. It was always like that friction. Like, we're all hip-hop, so you can only like one of us kind of thing. And it's always been like that. There's backpackers, and people like hated backpackers for a second. Yeah. Instead of embracing just a different type of music, say, okay, that's a backpack lane. And just have stuff being called different. Hip-hop has never embraced the differences and made it just different genres. And that's what kept rock kind of rolling for so long. And then they got into like the fucking Panic at the Disco and all that stuff that kind of teetered them off the edge. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there, there are people, the Rolling Stones get back together, people are going to go see the Rolling Stones. Damn right, Metallica's still torn. Yeah, like Metallica's been around for 30 years, people are going to see Metallica perform. Only in hip-hop do they say like, oh, Jay-Z, no, 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 can't, you can't rap anymore, this is a young man's game. Bullshit. It's not a young man's game. Shit wasn't created by young people. Sorry to, <laughs> to blow your mind. And more importantly... People rapping at like 35 in the Bronx and shit. Like, ask the people who you consider the forefathers of hip-hop and, and the originators of hip-hop were not young. No, and more... Curtis Blow was old as hell when he started. And more importantly, it's like we have reached an era. Finally, what we're seeing, a new generation of kids who came, who are spawned from these rappers. You see, like, Snoop Dogg's kid out here. You see, you see like, Drez had a song with his son that DJ Premier produced for the Angry Birds video game. Like, you have a new Chris generation. Chris Rios is dope. Yeah. So, it's like, you have finally reached an era where we have another generation in hip-hop. So, yeah, you got to get old with your music. You didn't have the opportunity 30 years ago because it... There was no chance for it to happen. Yeah. Hip-hop was still in its infant stages. So for like these new, for these articles that say you're too old to rap and for, like DMX didn't break in until he was 30. People yeah. forget that. DMX was 30 when he dropped his first M album. M was what, 28? Yeah. M, M was like 28. M was older. M, M was damn near about to give up. You pay, it's like they pay their dues for so long and then they get in and it's like, you know, they're new to, to different ears. Like Eminem appealed to what? Like, there were tiny white girls that were loving Eminem. Yeah. Who who would have heard his earlier shit and would have been like, nope, never mind. If they never saw what he looked like, it's all the aesthetic and video and all that stuff. But Eminem was as raw as a hip-hop artist as they came. Definitely. But he appealed to pop culture. I mean, 2 Chains crossed over. 2 Chains. 2 Chains 38 goddamn years old. So, 2 Chains didn't break out until, what, 33? Before then, he was Titty Boy. Yeah. No one was checking for Titty Boy. And he was old. 2 Chains was old. But his music. 33 when he changed his name to 2 Chains and blew up and then now he's fucking... With Fallout Boy. Right. That's what like, I'm saying. It's like like to put it to try to put an expiration date on a rapper or to try to separate us because of our age. Because, you know, the people say, Oh, well, you know, two chains is thirty eight and I go back to Kendrick Lamar who's twenty eight. There's a ten year difference here. Now, what you like has nothing to do with their age, it's just the music that they make. I don't think two chains woke up in the morning and was like, Man, I gotta make a song for eighteen year olds, fuck this shit. And Kendrick was like, Man, I gotta channel the spirits of fifty years old, fuck this shit. And then they just made music. Just go with what you like. You just do and I don't think people realize that as writers, because we're writers, we talk on this podcast, but at, at the base of us, we are writers and creators through literature. That's what we are. And that's what artists are and hip hop artists. And because it starts with writing and then saying it and you're poets and all this stuff. And if you go through history, poets have no expiration date. You can get better as a writer, as a poet, as a performer into your 60s. Yeah. Some of the greatest works. You look at a Mark Twain, you look at, you know, Shakespeare, all this shit. There's no expiration date on that. 
So to put an expiration date on hip hop, who's to say Jay Z can't get better, or yeah. someone like Lil Wayne can't burn out at twenty seven? There's no expiration. There's no here and there. It's not a young man's game. It's if you develop, if you put the time in, and you can grow. You can always be better as a writer. Journalism, the stuff that we do, some of the best writers are sixty. They're old as hell. I, I think Kevin Ioli is still getting better. Right. And he's one of the oldest writers in the game. It doesn't matter. I still nah. love his work and all that shit. I'll read all his articles. You can get yeah. better with age and time. And yeah. there's no expiration to that. No, nah, there's no expiration. So basically, I hated this article. I'm not a big fan of the mixtape. I hate hype. I hate that everybody has an opinion on social media. I hate that the real voices of authority who have been around and writing about these things... They're, whatever they say is called hating. Meanwhile, there's like a billion people on Twitter saying that this thing is classic. And I don't know, like, who do we listen to? Like, when Illmatic came out and Miss Info penned the, the source review, that was it. That was the authority. Five mics. Oh, shit. I'm gonna get it. Imagine if Illmatic came out in the Twitter era. There would have been some people with, like, amazing, and some people would have shitted on it. It would have ended up somewhere in, like, in the four range. Not enough songs. I don't like the production. Everyone's a critic. He's an old man. He, like, he's 18. Like, dog. That's what I always say. Nas was 18 when he wrote Illmatic. Yeah. Soldier Boy still makes shitty music and he's in it well into his 20s. <laughs> Where, does age have anything to do with it? It's just what you're doing at the time. Um, we're about to actually get a guest on, though. Yeah. Wrestling guest. But before we do that, let's try to squeeze in our pound for pound list for this week. I try to make it the best tandem albums or mixtapes. So it's two artists who get together for a project, but they're not a group. It's hard as hell, by the way. Like after, I, like I thought about it, I was like, "Man, this isn't easy." But I'll give my list uh, one through five real quick. Number one, Black Star, Most Def, Talib, and DJ High Tech. Can't forget about High and Tech. High Tech. <laughs> We're going with tandems here. Don't throw me. I know, off. I know. I'm sorry. I just had to. The, the production, <laughs> J. Rawls produced. Anyway, so Black Star is number one for me. Two, Run the Jewels, Killer Mike, LP. That's two. Um, three, Best of Both Worlds, Jay Z and R. Kelly, which is super underrated to me. Four, Blackout, Red and Meth. Five, Bad Meets Evil, Eminem, and Royce. Well. One through five. That easy. Look, I know as soon as I say this list, people are going to hit me with like, you forgot, you stupid. No. Yo, it's so hard to remember all this stuff, though. If you're not a group, it's kind of hard. Yeah. So, Black Star is my number one album. Um, Number two is Mad Villain. Mad Lib and MF Doom. When Mad Villain dropped, that thing was amazing. Uh, Three, I'm going to go with the the J-Lib album. Another Mad Lib project. Two of my favorite producers ever, both rhyming. Uh, I'll never forget hearing Champion Sound for the first time. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it gets sketchy. I guess I guess Bad Meets Evil is in there. Um, Bad Meets Evil and the Meth and Red album are both kind of like side by side to me. It's weird because I don't listen to the Bad Meets Evil album anymore. I always thought the album could have been so much better than what it was. I thought Royce brought it on every track and well, M was kind of like, ugh. It was, it was a different... M and Royce. Like, it's not the scary movies M and Royce. No. It's not the Renegade M and Royce when Royce was originally on Renegades. It was like Eminem, sober Eminem. Like, I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Sober Eminem was not as good as Dopehead Eminem. No. But like, you need, like, early dope. Like, I don't want, like, pill popper Eminem. No, I'm not talking about Marshall Mathers. Not, too. like, depression pill Eminem. Slim Shady like, LP. I want, like, mad different street drugs Eminem. <laughs> like, the Slim Shady EP Eminem. Yeah. Any Man Soundbombing Eminem. Um, I know I'm forgetting some. I know people say Watch the Throne should be on there. I'm hesitant. 
Yeah, it doesn't make my top five. I, it was a decent project. I liked it better than most, actually, but it's not in my top five. Yeah, so th- I guess that's my top five because the Meth and Red and Bad Me's Evil tie. Somebody's going to hit me. Somebody's going to say I'm forgetting something. I don't know what it is yet, um, but I'm sure I'll hear it from you guys, especially being a hip-hop head. It, it's a struggle to put these together, but that's right off the top of After one day, Drake and Future doesn't make your top five? Hell, like... Blasphemy. And that's... God, God damn you, Internet. This is your fault. <laughs> All right, so right now we got to welcome our guest. Uh, this is Moose Quinn Ojanaka, Ring of Honor star. Um, glad to be on the podcast. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for joining us. It was a great weekend for you. ROH, if everyone isn't sure, had their All-Star Extravaganza 7, and you stole the show. A no-DQ match ended with you going through a table. Tell us a little bit about the match and uh, your thoughts leading up to it. Were you excited? Were you nervous? And how do you think it played out? Um, definitely was a good match um, today. And um, it was definitely one of those things where I was, I wanted to say I was nervous. Um, I was actually really excited for it because this was the first um, kind of match I've been in in my career. So it was something different than the rest of them. And uh, I was just real anxious the whole week coming up to All-Star Extravaganza. And um, luckily, me and my um, me and Cedric stole the show. Um, from the reviews I've been seeing online and social media, that was everybody's favorite match. Um, I, I'm just excited to be um, part of Ring of Honor, part of something as great as what me and Cedric put together. Dude, I, I got to ask you because it's your first no DQ match, and for people that have been watching for a long time, they've never seen you take bumps like that, like landing on the ladder and things like that. Like, how mentally, how do you prepare yourself when you when you're about to go through a ladder because you've never had to experience something like that? Oh man, it's just one of those things where you just run, jump, and hopefully you don't get hurt too bad. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's like. I was kind of happy I was in this kind of match because one of the um, negative things that people have been saying about me um, since I got into wrestling was, oh, this guy's not legit because he's just here to collect a paycheck and uh, he's not going to put his body through what some of the greats have put their body through. So this was kind of like one of those things where I was actually excited when they told me I was going to be in a no-DQ match so I could kind of like shut up or the critics who thinks that I'm not who think that I'm not in this because I love the sport or love this business, you know. So um, I was actually really excited to be in this match, and yeah, I'm, I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, coming from a football background, we see a lot of wrestlers now kind of come from that background, and. Is there kind of like a stigma attached to wrestlers who didn't come up and have been wrestling since they were like 16, who come up through more of a football background? You guys are just athletes and you have to learn the sport and go through it. Do you think that there's like a negative connotation on you guys? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, you got to think about it. It's been tons of wrestlers who came from football. And out of all those guys, there's really only three memorable names, which Goldberg being one of them, um, Big Cat Ernie Ladd being the second one, and Wahoo, Wahoo McDaniel being the third one. Um, so, I mean, it's, out of all the guys who came up from football, you only got three names that people really think about. And really, two of the names, no, 
nobody really really watched wrestle because it was before our time. I mean, Wahoo and Ernie Ladd wrestled before my parents even thought about making me. <laughs> they wrestled like in the 60s, you know. So, I, honestly, I've never even seen, I've never seen a full match of Ernie Ladd's. I've seen like clips and, like little clips and highlights here and there, but I've never seen a full match. So, you talking about guys that, a guy like Bill Goldberg, which that's the only guy people really remember watching. So it's one of those things where most when a guy comes from the NFL and be like, hey, I want to be a wrestler, that fans are automatically think, oh, this guy's going to suck. So, I mean, so knowing that, I knew that, man, I had, I'm, I'm going to have to work my ass off because I'm coming in a, a business where I already have a negative connotation on me, you know? I'm not going to be good. I'm not going to be successful. So. so take us back a little bit, man. Like, for you, what what got you into this business, you know, especially coming off of being in, in the NFL? What made you decide to become a pro wrestler? Oh, something I've been a big fan of, man. Oh, I've been watching wrestling since I was like 8 to 10 years old. And it's just something I, I knew I wanted to do at some point in my life. And it's just um, the, way, the way everything came together it's just I had to wait a while because I was I played in the NFL for so long so but it was something I was a big fan of um, before I even got into started wrestling I've been to so many WWE shows and so many Summer Slams and Wrestlemanias and King of the Rings the whole nine I mean I was a, a super mark for wrestling before I got into it who are some of the people that influenced you then? Because obviously you said you've been watching since you were 8 or 10. And when you decided to get into it, you obviously drew some of what you wanted to do from those influences. Who are the, some of the people that you looked up to and enjoyed coming up and growing up as a wrestling fan? Um, man, it's kind of weird. Um, I, 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 I was a big fan of um, Razor Ramon. Um, Scott Hall, same, same character, but more the, char- more the Razor Ramon character. Then you have Ric Flair, I was a big fan of his, um, Dusty Rose, um, in the later generation, or the current generation, um, I guess, guys like Brock Lesnar, and um, was a fan of Goldberg, Eddie Guerrero, Ray Mysterio, but it's crazy because out of all those names that I've named, the style I wrestle is way different. <laughs> all those guys. I, when I got into wrestling, I didn't want to use anybody's movesets. I wanted to create my own. So when I do something, um, fans don't don't be like, "Oh, you stole that from this guy," or "You're stealing that from that guy." So I, I, I try to kind of make my own movesets up. But I, it's funny that I say that because a lot of those guys I mentioned, I I took stuff from them. But it's just not moves. It's stuff that nobody would ever know that I I took this from them. So those guys I named definitely had a big influence on my wrestling career. A lot of those guys you named have big personalities, especially like the the old generation guys. You know, you named Flair and Dusty Rhodes. Do you think that's your next evolution as a wrestler? Do you want to get more in front of the mic and expand your character and talk and show what you have inside as far as your character development is concerned? Yeah, I mean, for guys who are big fans, uh, 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 fans of me, they already see the um, the evolution of Moose. Uh, first of all, 
Moose first came up, Moose was just a big guy who pretty pretty much punished people. Now you see Moose doing front flips. You see Moose doing big dives. You see Moose doing a shoulder shimmer when he does something. You see him celebrating a little bit more. more. He's, he's now more of a front character to watch more than just a big guy who throws people around. So the evolution is already coming and people who watch Ring of Honor who Ring of Honor fans see that. Um, so, I mean, evolution is still coming. Uh, I learn every day. I'm learning every day. Uh, I'm surrounded. I've surrounded myself around some of the best wrestlers in the world, which Ring of Honor helps with that because we do honestly have some of the best wrestlers in the world. So, just being around those guys every weekend helps the evolution of most. Dude, I wanted to ask you if you can kind of take us back to your first match and having to deal with, I mean, you know, like UFC fighters have octagon jitters, like boxers are scared when they first get in the ring. What was it like for you in your first match and how did you know or when did you realize that you were going to connect with these fans in a way that other wrestlers often fail at? Because a lot of people try this out and don't make it, but you're different. Um, my first match was against one of my good buddies, A.R. Fox, um, and it was actually at a school that I trained at, and, uh, the match totally sucked, which, <laughs> which, that's, that's normal, I mean, um, if any wrestler was to come here and tell you that their first match was a five-star match, they'll be lying, should, if they told you their first match was a three-star match, they'll be lying, um, it was just, I mean, it sucked, it was a learning experience, but, um, Honestly, to answer that question, when did I know I was going to connect with the fans in wrestling? I actually knew it when I didn't start wrestling. Yeah, I knew it when I was in football. Um, going back to football, a lot of guys who watched me, I was kind of like the clown who, after every big play, I would do something silly. Um, just to let everybody know I just made the big play. So, and it was one of those things the fans loved it. And it was one moment kind of let me know that whenever I go to wrestling, I'm, it's going to be easy for me to connect with the fans. Um, I, everybody, I, I always had the, the nickname Moose since my freshman year, I mean, since my rookie year in the NFL. And I remember I was I made a start. I was starting at left guard for the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, for, for the guys who watch football, they know every week um, the coach selects either the starting defense or the starting offense to be announced. And you kind of like give that special announcement where they make, announce each player by the position. And when they announced me, um, they announced me as Quinn Moose Ojanaga. And you had 60,000 people in the arena chanting Moose. So it was, that's when I kind of like knew what my gimmick was going to be in wrestling. And I knew I was easily going to be able to connect with the wrestling crowd since I had the full crowd, you know kind of like connected already without really doing anything. No, that's crazy. Um, you know, a lot of people see pro wrestling and they think WWE, and that's the first thing and kind of only thing that comes to some casual fans' minds. But we know how big the indies are today and the high quality of wrestling available in independent uh, promotions. What is it like to be an indie wrestler? If you can just tell our fans and our listeners, like, they all see kind of the glitz and glamour of the WWE. What is it like for you to be an indie wrestler, and what makes ROH so special for you? Uh, if you think about some of the best wrestlers in the WWE right now,
help you work your craft better than getting picked up by WWE and going straight there. Um, like, for example, who would you say a better wrestler is? Ryback or Kevin Owens? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and I'm not saying Ryback is not a good wrestler. He is. I mean, he's good, but everybody knows who's the better, who the better wrestler is. And I feel like the reason why Kevin Owens is the better wrestler because he went through kind of like the progression I'm going through and some of the guys who in Ring of Honor are going through, you know? And I feel like working the indies teaches you that different style of wrestling. Did you actually watch Night of Champions after All-Star Extravaganza? Did you go home and watch that? Yeah, I watched some of the matches. Um, I was kind of in and out from it because I was watching the football game, but um, I was in and out. I saw some of the matches. What did you think of their product versus your product? Because, I mean, your pay-per-views were right next to each other. They had Seth Rollins defend twice. You guys had Jay Lethal defend twice. What did you think about the shows? Um, what do you mean about their angle compared to our angle or just the show in general? Just the show in general. Because, I mean, they were very similar in a way, like I said, because you, had, you both had your champions defending twice in one night. But as a as a whole with the product, I mean, of course, you're probably going to say yours is better. But just kind of what did you think between where WWE is and, and where ROH is in terms of product? Um, I feel like um, I, I'm not I'm, I'm something about I'm very I'm a realist. I'm not going to be biased and say, oh, Ring of Honor's product is way better than WWE's product because I'll be lying and I'll be biased. Um, I'll be honest. It's things that we do better than WWE, and it's things WWE do better than us. Um, I feel like um, we do have better wrestling, all-around wrestling, than, than they do. And, um, for example, I feel like every one of our matches on our card could have been a main event match at Night of Champions. Mm. You can't say the same thing about every one of their matches. No, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do feel like their production is better than our production, but that's only, they have a lot of money. I mean, you talking about a company that has hundreds of millions of dollars compared to a company that have a couple of millions of dollars. So, obviously, their production is going to be better. Um, I feel like they do have, uh, they have a divas, a better divas, um, uh, selection we barely have one i think um hunter delirious our book is starting to um we're starting to get one running now um so like i said it's things that they have they do better than us and there's things we do better but i feel like right now is the best time to be a wrestling fan because there's so many different products out there what do you think of the whole nxt uh promotion and to many fans, they feel like it's bridging the gap. It, it seems like a very high-budget indie, and we see some of the best wrestlers from indie promotions go there and start there now. Uh, what do you think about that whole movement and seeing some people go from even your promotion there? Oh, I think it's great. I mean, like I said, there's so many different options. There. There's a main roster, WWE, there's NXT, there's Ring of Honor, there's Lucha Underground, there's Global Force, there's TNA. There's AAA, there's New Japan, there's so many different wrestling companies right now. It's crazy, but I do, I love NXT. Um, honestly, I watch more of NXT than I actually watch the regular WWE. And the reason why is because their style was more comparable to the 
Ring of Honor style of wrestling, which, like you said, NXT is just a, a high-budget indie show. Dude, which I... some say, some say they they're doing that to compete with Ring of Honor. I mean, I have no idea what they're doing because I'm not there, but that's what some critics say. But I mean, I, I love it. I mean, if that's the case, I mean, we love comp. I mean, competition is great for wrestling. I mean, it also kind of helps bring eyeballs to you. I mean, every you know, ever since like CM Punk came into the, the picture and Daniel Bryan. And now Kevin Owens, everybody starts looking at the ROH product. So I think, I figure that you guys are having more eyeballs on y'all than you've had before because of this. And, you know, like Sports, yeah, definitely. Sports Illustrated is writing articles. Like, I mean, of course, Grandland, Rolling Stones doing articles on you guys. I mean, you say it's a great time to be a wrestling fan, but isn't it like an even better time to be a wrestler? Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially for guys who don't have jobs at so many different um, avenues you could go searching for a job like, with all these different companies going on. Um, I mean, like you said, those guys uh, with the competition, you never know. I mean, you see they sign a lot of Ring of Honor wrestlers. I mean, so you know they're always looking, which is great for some of the guys who want to be future WWE wrestlers. I mean, it's, it's a great time to be in the business. I also have to ask you because you've only been in the business for a short amount of time, and there's there's guys that have been in the business for years that don't improve as much as you have in like the last year, dude. How did how did you catch on to this so quick and and, and learn? Because I mean, you mentioned Ryback, and I hate to use him as an example. It's not like Ryback can't wrestle, but it's taken them a long time to become the Ryback that we're seeing today. Whereas with you, your learning curve has been crazy. Uh, and I feel like, how do I answer that question without being cocky or nothing? Because if you know me, you know I'm not cocky at all. Uh, I feel like the difference between the guys who go the indie route, first of all, I'm one of those guys I learned pretty quick. So uh, I, I feel like that's something that NFL helped me with. Because, you know, in the NFL, you might have to go playing in one team one week, I mean one week and then in six weeks have, have to move to another state, another city and play for another team and then you have to learn that whole playbook. So it was one thing that I feel like the NFL helped me with. And I, I'm one of those guys, if I have, if I, if I make a decision to do something, I'm going to work at it every single day to get it done. And when I made that decision to become a wrestler, I told myself every single day, I'm going to study my ass off. I'm going to go to practice. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be the best wrestler in the world. And I feel like that, that mindset helped me learn the sport so much. And then another thing that helped me learn it is um, in, the, in the Indies, you learn from, you learn from so many different, you learn every single style of wrestling there is compared to if you're brought up straight out of WWE developmental, the only wrestling you learn is the wrestling they teach you. Which I don't think that's a bad thing. That's their style. That's what works for them. But I feel like the best, the, the great thing about coming up the way I came up or Kevin Owens came up or um, Generico or Claudio and all these guys um, in Balor you get to learn every single style of wrestling there is. 
So whenever you do get to the WWE, if that's a goal of yours, you're way more ready than a guy who's been in WWE his whole career. You're still very early in your career, but who would you say is like one of your favorite people to wrestle against? Like, who are some of the people that you've had some of your best matches or chemistry with? And then who would you want to wrestle? If you can wrestle anyone in any promotion, who are some of the guys you really want to get in the ring with? Oh, man. Um, Honestly, the guys, it seems like in wrestling, the guys who you have the best chemistry with are the guys who you're really, really, who you're real life friends with. And, um, some of the guys I've had my best matches are some of the guys I call like really close friends of my friends of mine, which Ricochet being one of them, um, Ricochet being one of them, Uha, who's now Apollo Crews being one of them, um, not to break, um, not to break kayfabe, I know he did crazy dude with Cedric, but he's actually a good friend of mine, and, um, we had great chemistry, and I feel like I feel like that's what makes the chemistry even. It makes it generally easier if you actually are friends with a guy. You know, you don't want to work this guy. You know, this guy's a friend of yours, and you know, with him, you want to create a, a, a great masterpiece. You know, mm-hmm. so I feel like that helps a lot. Dude, I, I got. I have to ask you this question because we there was an article a while ago that came on the Atlanta talking about African Americans in wrestling and. It's it's interesting because like I think this weekend we saw the the new day and they've come so far. You and Cedric probably had the best match at All Star Extravaganza, and you guys are two African American wrestlers. Um, what do you think about blacks in wrestling today, as opposed to like ten years ago when we had like to have a bone in our nose and we had that be like Kamala couldn't speak English or Crime Time? You think that people are finally allowing African Americans just to be just as good as any other race of a wrestler? I tried to be naive in the sense where people say that because of our skin color, they don't give guys more opportunity. I, I try to be naive about that. Uh, but I do believe in the same sentence that there's been more chances given to African-Americans in this era compared to the era you just mentioned with the Kamalas and all those other African-American guys back then. So, I mean, um, I feel like more chances are are given to us. And I'm not saying it's because of our skin color. It could be, but that's where it it shows. I mean, look at a guy like Jay Lethal, who obviously is an African-American, and he's probably one of the best wrestlers in the world, and he has two titles. Now, would that have happened 20 years ago? Who knows? Probably not. I mean, but... (laughs) I mean, I don't like I said. I try to be naive about the situation, but who knows? That's what I just throw it out there. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I feel like more chances have been given to us now than back in the day. But I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of our skin color. I don't know. I I'm just one of those guys. When it comes to wrestling, I believe if you're good, then you're gonna get the rewards of being good. And Jay Lethal right now is the best, in my opinion, is the best wrestler in the world, and he's getting the reward for it. All right, man. So before we let you, I gotta ask you, man. Why? I saw your Instagram about your Jordans and your shoe collection. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, man, how many pair of sneakers do you have? Oh, shit. <laughs> Probably right now. I think gave a bunch 
away. I think gave a good 100 pairs away. So I'm probably down to about 200 pairs of shoes. And I'm still I'm still planning on giving some more away because some of those shoes I'm never going to wear. They're just saying they're collecting dust. Yo, listen, I wear a size 13. I don't know what size you wear, but uh, I'm always open. <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. Uh, I, wear, I wear 14. I do have some 13s, but I got to see which ones which ones are 13s, but I do wear 14. 15. See, look at that. Andreas is tight right now. He wears like a size 9. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man, that's great. Thank you for joining us. Um, Hey, I know tons of people are your fans. We're fans of both you and ROH, so uh, keep doing your thing. Can't wait to see what's ahead for you and your career, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, hey, before you go, is, uh, is this the end of you and Cedric's feud, or we still got some more to go? Oh, uh, nah, I'm moving on to other things now. Uh, when I put Cedric through that chair, or through that table, that was the end of that. All right, so we punctuated. All right, so the next pay-per-view, final, yeah. ba- final battle's the next pay-per-view in a couple months, right? All right, so we'll have to look forward to seeing and you get Hopefully, final battle, I'll be um, on the on the track again, some gold around my waist. Nah. That's the plan. So whoever got the world title or the TV title, when final battle comes, will be keeping it warm for me to take that final battle. <laughs> Word. Thanks for joining us, man. Thanks, Moose. Uh, we'll be watching, right. man. Have a good day. All right, no problem. All right, yeah. all right man. Peace. Later. All right, thank you. All right, it was great having Moose on with us to talk a little bit about ROH and wrestling and the indies, and it's always dope to see a perspective like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, the guys come along so quick. If anybody, you know, just watches WWE and listens to the show, go watch ROH. Do yourself a favor. If, if Kevin Owens hasn't convinced you to do it yet, go watch All-Star Extravaganza. Just watch the Moose Cedric Alexander match. It's a great match. So let's talk about the rest of ROH before we get on to Night of Champions. Real quick, quick recap. We had Jay Lethal defending both titles against the members of Red Dragon. Yeah, which is... Uh, and they what? did it first match and last match, which, which is, is what smart. I ex- which is what I expected them to do at Night of Champions with Seth. I mean, you would figure with Seth Rollins wrestling twice that they would do him at the top and the bottom of the show. But they didn't. They kind of went back to back, which we'll talk about later. But Back to back. <laughs> back to back. <laughs> but Jay Lethal, he looked good. I mean, I, I love how he sold the injury. When going into the match with Kyle O'Reilly, I didn't like the finish. Actually, I hated the finish. Of uh, the last one? Yeah. I hated okay. Adam Cole coming back and turning heel and rejoining the kingdom. And I felt like every match was – I liked the pay-per-view, the wrestling, until the finishes. Too many ref bumps, too many run-ins. It felt like I was watching some WWE shit. Yeah, I mean, that's how they got to keep both belts on lethal, I guess. He can't <laughs> win, like, super clean every time. No, see, he, like, he pulled the tights against Bobby Fish and – I wouldn't mind it. Like, I kind of want him to win clean because that's kind of how ROH does it. The running with Adam Cole just kind of felt weird because he came in and it was like, and Bobby Fish came back and it's just a little bit too much. It was like a schmoz kind of <laughs> finish. I, I don't know. Had to get everything in there. Um, what else was on there? Young Bucks lose again. Well, okay. I think we said this they on the show. They only win in PWG, by the way. I think we said this on the show like a million times. I'm so tired of these multi-tag team matches that ROH does. They're so <laughs> ridiculous because they turn to spot fest. It's like you, you can never really have two guys going at it. You got to like set up certain spots and certain things that have to happen. And the Young Bucks kind of can't really operate without looking gimmicky because a lot of their spots are things that they already do. Yeah. So when you bring the Kingdom in, who they won the tag team titles. The Kingdom's terrible. I don't care. I don't like the Kingdom either. But um, 
it just I don't know. I was cool on like watch that match. It was like a three star match. I wasn't the work was all right. I've seen way better Young Buck matches. Kingdom, whatever. That who cares? Um, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I did love the the tornado match with AJ Styles, Michael Elgin, Roger Strong, and who am I forgetting? Who was in that match? Oh man, Roger Strong, Elgin. Oh, what's his face one? AJ Styles. AJ won. Styles won. Why am I? Who am I forgetting? Wow, I don't know. Good. That was the number one contenders match. Yes, man. You're killing me because you're not remembering. Oh, duh. Adam Cole. Okay. Um, (laughs) Because he ran into the the championship match. I thought that was a great match, which it showcased how good everybody was. Michael Elgin was was hot. I wasn't sure that AJ Styles was going to win that match because now he's going to get a title shot against Jay Lethal at Final Battle, which is very interesting. Jay might come off of that title. It might that might be the the run of lethal because we've been trying to figure. Well, see, we've been trying to figure out what's what's AJ Styles going to be doing um, before Wrestle Kingdom in December. Uh, you know, once NJPW takes a break, what's he going to do? Well, now we know what he's going to be doing. He's going to be chasing Jay Lethal for the title. Will he win the title? Will he take the ROH title to Japan? Because he's not getting a title shot at Wrestle Kingdom. So will he be the ROH champion going to Japan? Because they have this weird working relationship. Yeah. And he could wear his belt out there, and I, I think he's been wrestling so well, it's hard to not put something on him. Some right. promotion, somewhere. Like, he's just been turning out great matches. Um, I'm surprised New Japan didn't, like, let him get something, but it's not his time over there, so I think ROH is... He's had his time over there. He's been the champ. Yeah, I mean, but this year, man, what a great matches he had through that whole damn tournament. It, it's, it's hard, because NJPW's got so many great wrestlers, yeah. but... You know, like I said, Michael Elgin had a great run, like, in the G1 Climax tournament. And to see him get a shot, everybody kind of showed their ass out there. Adam Cole, he, it was so close to seeing Adam Cole being over. The fans loved him. Then he went turn heel again and got rejoined the kingdom. And You like him better as a heel. Yeah, if you ever seen him work in, in Pro Wrestling Gorilla, um, his suck my dick gimmick is hilarious. Like, <laughs> he's an asshole. Like, he was a great, he's a great heel. He's one of those guys kind of like New Day where you really don't want to see him as a face because it kind of restricts what he can do in his work. Yeah. Um, almost like how CM Punk is better as a heel. Almost. But CM Punk was a good face, too, because he, he played both sides real well. I don't know if Adam Cole can do that. Um, uh, what else? Your boy Dalton Castle? Yeah, he lost the, the boys. He yeah. lost the boys. Uh, no more boys walking him to the ring. You know what? That match kind of sucked, though. I, I expected so much more from Dalton Castle and Silas Young. Um, I will, I'm interested to see what Silas Young does with the boys, but the match as a whole, it was it left me with a lot to be desired. I wasn't. Mm. It was the kickoff match. I mean, I didn't expect too much out of it. Yeah, they but I wanted to like steal the show. Set the stage, man. Set the stage. They didn't really set the stage. It was a build up. Uh, all right, so let's talk about Night of Champions. <sighs> if I had a trombone, I would play it right now. <laughs> that, that's how I felt about Night of Champions. Um, <laughs> oh, by the way, the singlet is getting made. I just need to make, like, the little Big E jacket thing. Oh, Christ. And I'm growing my hair out. I know the listeners can't see this, but the growth is in process. And the Big E fade, like, the super high down to a point fade is going to happen. And uh, we're going. Wow. Full speed. So make sure you get your trombone ready, your wig. Yeah. Uh, We're going to be the new day. Because, yo, you got to go shirtless with a vest. It's all bad for you. Yo. (laughs) Anyway. Oh. <laughs> it started with the New Day, man. New Day beat the Dudleys. Uh, expected. Well, it was DQ. They retained DQ, the title. Yeah. 
Oh, that was they expected. lost to, technically. Yeah, I mean that was expected. I expected how that played out. Um, took him a while to uh, to get the finish together when Xavier Woods ended up going through the table. But other than that, it was a good match. Xavier was looking like uh, Rufio had the hair. Um, he played the Final Fantasy theme again. Like I don't. Yes. <laughs> yo, I geek out when this game. Like, Xavier Woods shows his true colors as a complete geek. But he's learning the trauma. He played the Rocky theme as Kofi Kingston was slamming punches into Bubba Ray, which is like one of the best things ever. Again, the New Day prove once again that they are the best thing to watch on television right now in WWE. They did. And I mean, I think the WWE is rewarding them with that. They are super over, even as heels, and they still play the heel gimmick so well. Uh, they give them promo spots all the time before you matches. Have to. I mean, the Rusev match, they had a full, like, two-minute promo before Rusev even came out on uh, Raw. Um, they did their thing against the Dudleys. It's setting the stage for a tables match or a TLC match or something, which is going to be great because it's three versus two, and they're all going through tables in a crazy array of ways. So I'm happy about it. I'm kind of feeling like Xavier Woods is, like, their official manager now. Like, he doesn't wrestle anymore. He's, he's the, the mascot. And I want to see him wrestle some more. Like, I think Xavier Woods, like... I mean, I think it would be great if the Dudleys found a way to bring Spike Dudley back and make this a three-on-three. What? It, no. it has to be odd, man. If anything, you bring in another team. I want another team. I just don't know. I ain't ready for another team. I'm ready for another team. Not like, yet. if the Usos are healthy, bring them in. TLC. Not yet. Can't run them too thin. And you know, like the Divas division, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, New Day was the only match that I thoroughly enjoyed. After that, Night of Champions got real sketchy for me. Ryback losing to Kevin Owens, great. I wanted that to happen. However, the match wasn't that good. It was, it was another one of those things where... The, How good is a Ryback match, though? Well, see, there, but, you know, Kevin Owens can carry anybody. Um, the finish, again, is what troubled me, the, the rake of the eyes, and that was kind of crappy. Um, I just, I'm glad they got the belt off of him. I would love to see what they're going to do with Kevin Owens. I said on the last show that I, I think they can stretch a Kevin Owens Ryback feud for a couple of pay-per-views. I reconsidered that thought. I want no more of this shit. It's over. I'm done with it. I don't want to see it anymore. Well, it's continuing, and now we know it's continuing. And we're going to have to see Ryback carried for a little while. But I think Owens comes out victorious of that. I think they keep the belt on him. He's just a better champion. They can do more with him. He does color commentary. He does promo work. He can do all of those little things that Ryback cannot. And that's why he's the IC champion. Well, yeah, of course. So he wins. Um, what else do we have here? Oh, the Divas match. I hated everything. I hated everything about this from beginning to end. Here's the reason. Team Bella. When, mode. That's my favorite thing right now. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> when Nikki Bella didn't lose her title at before the, the Bella Brace and whatever the hell they called it, I felt like at that point, Nikki needs to hold the title for an extended period of time because she has there's nothing for her to do without the belt. She sucks, all right? In comparison to Charlotte, Sasha, uh, Bailey who will eventually make her way up there. She sucks. Nah. <laughs> I mean, yes, but once again, they had to take the title off her cuz it's a revolution. It's You're not trying this, to show people that you want better wrestling. This isn't it's a revolution. A fluke that they let her break the record, but I guess they dislike CM a, Punk and AJ Lee. It's not a fluke. They had to erase AJ Lee. That's all they did. Because yeah. if you're going to go ahead and, and erase that, because that's all we were waiting for was somebody to stop her. And here's the mistake that WWE made. They, they should have talked about this months ago, her breaking AJ Lee's record. 
They could have built this up and had this Bella countdown clock for like two months and made us anticipate the day that she loses, right? And then have her lose to Charlotte. Don't lose after because now it's like so. Then we had to watch Ric Flair dry drunken vodka tears, and it just felt like like rolling into Raw and seeing Pace. It was just it just this is not a Divas Revolution. Where the hell is Sasha Banks? She's not even wrestling. No, and Sasha like she's kind of pissed about that. She's been tweeting about it. What's up, Bay? And uh, she needs that next shot. But the same thing happened in NXT. NXT went, you know, and gave Charlotte the push because it's easy. And Ric Flair cries. And she has the pedigree. And shout out to Paige who dropped a great promo about it. Like, she, you're only here because your father and all this stuff. Because, honestly, Becky Lynch is probably a better wrestler. And Sasha Banks is definitely a better wrestler than Charlotte. And her character's more over. So, Sasha really should have won the title. But it's not how it went. So now instead of we get instead of getting Sasha and Paige, maybe we get Sasha and Abella, and then you get I don't know Paige and Charlotte for a while. Paige gets that belt, then Sasha comes in and it's a three way kind of match. Uh, I I don't know. See, that's here, here, that's the only thing you can do. There's only so many people that can wrestle. Well, see, here's the booking problem: with this we have we have three hour Raws each week, right? There's no reason why we shouldn't have two Divas matches and mix and match these girls to wrestle each other. Because we, the fact, like, I wasn't moved watching Charlotte win the belt. I didn't care. Once she won the belt, I just didn't care. And there's a problem with that because if I'm not mostly invested in these characters, like, Bailey beating Sasha was a big deal. Like, Sasha beating Charlotte was a big deal. Charlotte beating Nikki, I just didn't care about. And if I'm not mostly invested, it's going to be hard for me to get engaged in whatever few. Because now, if it's Charlotte and Paige, where does this leave Nikki Bella? If you're only wrestling one Divas match on Raw each week. They need two. But then they have so much promo time and commercials. It, it, Can we all agree that three hours of Raw is just too much, first and foremost? It's not too much. If it's they packed too much. it correctly, they got enough talent. They never, but they never pack it correctly. I never watch SmackDown because I'm exhausted from Raw and NXT. I never watch SmackDown. I'll maybe catch a few highlights here and there. But three hours of Raw is like a lot to get through because a pay-per-view is three hours. So why do I need three hours of Raw each week? And some of the promos just aren't good, which leads me like, okay, enough of that. Enough of the Bellas. <laughs> enough of the, Dude, can we figure out what we're doing with this Dolph Ziggler Ryback feud? Or Rusev? I mean, Rusev, Ryback. Oh, God. Uh, Freudian no, slip. I was thinking about crappy things. I yeah, about no, it has to end. I mean, it's run its course, right? I mean, Dolph is kind of middling. I wouldn't mind seeing an Owens-Ziggler feud. Because I think those matches would actually be pretty good quality matches. Yo, both of their stocks have dropped tremendously because of this feud. Like, oh, everybody yeah. involved in this feud has lost ground. Uh, Lana never should have left Rusev. Nope. In Rus- which I think they're trying to put them back together. Yeah, I mean, but it's all, like, again, it's all contrived. Like, the whole buying earrings. Like, it's just, it sucks. And these two can put on a decent match, but there's so much subtext. It's like, I don't care. And I'm, I'm just going to be glad when this thing is finally over. Because Dolph is, Rusev has taken it the worst. Rusev has gone from oh, yeah. monster heel to like. Cry baby? Lana! Yeah. Lana, buga diga baga, Lana! Like, I'm tired of hearing all this. That's a good Rusev. Yeah. And then Ziggler, <laughs> but now Ziggler's like, he's like a scumbag. He's like stole Rusev's band and he's like buying his new girl earrings. Chick, like, yes, but correct. I mean, chick, what am I? Yeah, I don't know. You're don't, you're I'm, writing storylines that don't even exist yet. Hey, like, these are the all more. Phase. Yo. I'm. 
I'm checking out now. Yeah, I'll check out too. <laughs> um, but as a whole, yeah, that feud just got to stop. Uh, what do you think about Jericho as the mystery partner for the Wyatt? Yo, that, Wyatt's yo, Reigns. Yo, I was going to throw everything I had through my TV, except <laughs> I have a really nice TV. I hate the retread. And what sucked is that they went outside first for their little stupid pre-show. Um, and then the pre-show guy with the tattoos from NXT. Yeah. Corey who's Graves. actually pretty cool. Corey, Corey Graves, Graves is actually yeah, really um, good. Yeah. So they're like, who do you think it is? And he was like, well, you know, those guys being from NXT and all of these guys kind of coming through NXT, I think they go back down to NXT and bring someone in like Samoa Joe. I was like, yo, if Samoa Joe is the secret person, I'm flipping my lid. I'm losing my shit. I'm running outside, taking a lap and coming back because yeah. it would have been great. And instead, they used the retread on Chris Jericho, who looks extremely flabby and is wearing... Short tights now for some reason Yo, instead of the lion pants. I'm telling you, Chris Jericho is all looks, bad. He looks like he came out of a State Farm commercial and started wrestling. <laughs> like, like he looks like an '80s rock star today. Yeah, like he looks like an '80s rock star who now works at like Hewlett and Packard. Like, it just don't work. All right, there's so many things fundamentally wrong with this. You have Braun Strowman, who's this brute who's just demolishing everybody, and the biggest toughest guy that you could think to bring in is Chris Jericho. So many other people. I mean, I guess it was Jericho or Kane. I mean, I would actually prefer Kane, even though it still would have sucked. Yo, not to, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when this pay-per-view is two big surprises or two old-ass wrestlers, I'm cool. That ruined it for me. Anyway, but the whole Jericho, like, then they lost, which I expected. Then Jericho, like, didn't want to shake hands with Ambrose. Like, I feel like everybody in this feud is kind of stuck. Because now it's like, what is Ambrose doing? What is, like, Roman Reigns feels like he's, like, happy being a mid-carder now. Like, Ambrose is stuck being Roman Reigns' best bud. And he always comes to his rescue, only get his ass beat. There's nothing, there's nothing funny. Even, even Bray Wyatt, like, everything needs to separate from this. It's not working. Yeah, I don't even like the, the Wyatt family connection anymore. Like, I was hyped to see him come back, but not with, like, Strowman getting all the push. Like, like why, what is that? Like, why aren't they Ray wrestling even, for the tag team titles? Yeah. The, the only thing that I can say that the WWE has done right about this feud is keeping Strowman strong. Too many times we have those monster guys come in and like, we can't get him off his feet. And then he starts losing like every week after, after he takes his first loss. Let Strowman be strong for a while. Let him work this monster. What? I don't know after that because he's not good enough to make a run at anything. If you can't put a belt on Bray, you're damn sure not putting it on Strowman. You're, exactly. And that, that's the paradox you're kind of in. It's not, he's not by himself like when Umaga came in and like nobody could beat Umaga forever. Like Strowman's basically that monster like Ryback. And then when you lose, it's over because you have nothing left. Yeah. Because he's not that good talk. of an in-ring talent. Yeah. So that, that whole, the whole thing is... It's like, dude, if, if you listeners haven't figured it out yet, I didn't like Night of Champions. I just, I, I, I didn't enjoy myself. What about Cena beating Rollins? Clean. Okay. My biggest problem with this is because. <laughs> we started you on something. Yo, how does Seth Rollins hold the world heavyweight champion but cannot beat the U.S. champion clean? It's Super Cena. No but one beats Cena clean. He beat him with Jon Stewart's help. Then he loses to him clean. He taps out the Sting the week before to a Scorpion Deathlock on Raw. Then he loses to Cena clean again on Raw. Like, not only are you making your champion weak and weaselly, he sucks. He can't win at anything. But you know he's by far your best performer. Well, he injured Sting. Well, he killed Sting. <laughs> Granted, Sting is 56. I don't know how strong that makes you look. We'll talk about that in a second. Because, yeah, I think he almost turned Sting's spine to dust. But, dude... We all know, like, everybody knows Rollins their best performer right now. 
The fact that he closed the show with two back-to-back matches and a Sheamus Money in the Bank tease, Rollins was on our television for the last hour of Night of Champions. He needs to cash that shit in, by the way. Who, Sheamus? Yeah. Like, like what is he doing? With that? If he's not doing it now, like, it's weird because after you see, okay, let's move on. <laughs> I hated that Cena beat Rollins. The match, they, they've had good matches. Good but match. It's clear that Rollins, is, he's, he's the best performer that they have right now. So then we roll right into the Sting match, right? So what better way to make Sting look weaker than he's been than to have him lose to a guy who just lost his match to John Cena? Exactly. What, what are we doing with Sting? It just reminds everyone that these people are good. John Cena is otherworldly. And WCW sucks because now Sting is 0-2. Oh, uh, Triple H just sticking it to him. <laughs> like, we waited all this time for this? Yeah, I mean... For him to get hosed. That's it. Like, he needs a check. He this, ain't going nowhere. This is like mega hosiery, right? You, like, he loses. Like, Rollins loses to Cena. And rolls. Like, if this would have happened earlier in the night, I would have been fine with Sting beating Rollins. But he went right into the next match. And then he beats Sting. And then he almost kills him in the middle of the match. With a buckle bomb or whatever happens on the, the yeah. tables. Yo. Like, I don't know who got it worse. Sting right. might be done forever. Yeah, like I said, he might have killed Sting. That's, that's he was supposed end. to be on Raw the next night. He damn sure couldn't show up. His yeah. spine's broken. Stand to Sting. And then we rolled into Raw, and it was like... Kane returned. Which I thought was funny at first. The whole, like, I didn't know what you guys did with my mask. I yeah. was like, okay, this is kind of a unique way to bring Kane back. I don't back. mind it. But, like, this whole Kane-Rollins thing... Oh, the way that they introduced that Lesnar, announced that Lesnar's going to be fighting Taker at Hell in a Cell was great, by the way. The oh, I thought to, that was dope. Go to Hell, go to Hell go, Yeah, that was great. Everything about that was great. But as soon as they announced it, I was like, oh, Rollins about to have a shitty feud going into Hell in a Cell. And who's he get? Kane. Are they going to wrestle in the Hell in a Cell? I guess they kind of have to, right? Because yeah. it's for a title. If they I mean, don't, who like cares? Back-to-back Hell in a Cell matches? They're in, again. So Will you just leave the cell down? I guess Rollins in a cell can't be too bad though. But even if you do that and then set up Rollins' next feud while doing that, I'm not mad at it because you have to have someone run in or set up something between him and Hunter. Can and he win? Can he, Kane's the guy? He's got to be clean, right? He's got to. He has to, right? No, right? He's not being Kane clean because you got to set up the next feud. Can he beat anybody clean? No, he's not beating anyone clean except for Sting. Except for Sting, because Sting sucks uh-huh. and he's old. I mean. What do you do? Do you bring Reigns in? Do you... You have to set up something because he's not going to fight Kane for three pay-per-views. No, and then, like I said, like we're or stuck... Or Cena, like get an honest-to-God chance at the main title. But Cena's like the U.S. champ right now and we really have no idea who he's wrestling as this pay-per-view. No. Not a clue. Um, one glaring omission from all of this who's popped up on Raw and got knocked the fuck out was Cesaro. Yeah, that has to be Cena's next fight, by the way. Well... Cesaro is the most strangely booked wrestler in the company. He just came off of like an amazing series. He had amazing matches with Cena and amazing matches with Owens. And then... Gets he, knocked out by the big show. Well, no. He's not even in Night of Champions. He's completely removed from it. He shows up the next night just to put Big Show over. What are we doing with Cesaro? They never know what to do with him. I mean, they stuck him in a tag team that kind of worked, and then it didn't. Cause, well, because Tyson Kidd damn near got killed. Yeah, <laughs> by, uh, <laughs> by Samoa Joe. Like, two <laughs> days on the job. 
And then uh, now it's like, okay, well, Cesaro can actually wrestle by himself. And then he's getting better on the mic. And then he has, like, the towel thing. And then uh, we don't got room for it. It's like they keep pulling back. It's like every time they kind of let him go, he loses. What happens is he loses. He lost to Kevin Owens. Yeah. Which initially you were like, well, that's not going to hurt him. But it did. Now there's nothing to do. Losing the big show is never fun. Well, they got to scramble shit up again now. Because, one, they don't have enough heels. That's, like, their glaring problem. Because only so many people are you going to go face versus face? I don't know, man. I, like, what do we... I don't know. I don't know what the WWE is doing. It's pissing me off. I don't know. It's, t- it's time to have, like, a, a makeshift tournament or something just to keep everyone busy. Because there's too much talent being wasted. Have a tournament. Have a, I don't know, U.S. championship tournament or an IC title tournament. And just have Kevin Owens do color for every match. And have, you know, the Rusev's... Rusev versus, I don't know, someone random. And then you have Ziggler versus Cesaro. And then you, you get these matches that are good on the way to fight Kevin Owens. And Owens can run in and just screw people. I mean, maybe. And then, like, that's good. And everyone gets on TV and you build stuff. Throw Strowman in there. I, throw, throw these guys who don't have a feud necessarily, but you want them to look strong. Throw Ambrose in there. Give Ambrose another push. I just want to see my boys. Ambrose versus Owens would be great. Ambrose versus Owens would be an excellent feud, but he's stuck in this shitty feud with the Wyatt family. Mm. Like Cesaro, like a Cesaro Rusev feud would be great right now, but everything's stuck. So yeah, overall, Night of Champions get like a two out of five stars for me. I, I didn't enjoy myself. I felt like I was watching. And then this whole like, let's go back and forth. Like you win this week and I win next pay per view. I'm tired of that shit too. Just just beat somebody up and then like keep beating them up. <laughs> Words to you by Andreas Hell. Yes. <laughs> when we come back. We got to talk real quick MMA, boxing, before we get out of here. Yeah, it's real short this week. I mean, we'll talk on, on Bellator and World Series of Fighting yep. and Fedor. And boxing is just made with this shitty number. Yeah, so we'll man. Talk about that. Quick 10, 15 minutes. And then we also have to explain next week's show with our fan appreciation, which I really want to do and set up and make sure it goes over well. So we'll tweet about it this week. We'll talk about it at the end of the show and get that going for you guys. So stay tuned. Quick break, and we'll be right back. What up, loudspeaker family? What's up? It's your man, Ice-T. And I'm the co-host, Mick Benzo. And we're here to tell you that if you love podcasts like the Combat Jack Show, the Tax Season, the Brilliant Idiots, Fan Bros, and the Corner, yeah, then you're definitely going to want to check out our podcast, The Final Level Podcast. The Final Level Podcast is where you're going to get to talk about the latest movies, games, TV shows, and sports, but delivered from two OGs, give less than zero fucks about how you feel. So be sure to check me, Ice-T, out on the Final Level Podcast right here on the Loudspeaker Network, the number one podcast network on earth. Church. All right, we're back from break. We had to eat a little bit of pizza on break because we were starving. Little Caesars is underrated in the pizza game. It really is. Yo, those $5 joints got me through college. Yeah. Indeed. The couple of years that I spent there. <laughs> and uh, let's talk MMA then. Uh, we had Bellator. They had their tournament set up, yeah. which you hated. And and it failed, just failed like I miserably. thought it was. <laughs> Dude, all right. So King Mo started off. Yep. One looked like it was easy, but he broke his ribs. Against And then Phil Davis won his fight easily against Emmanuel Newton. As soon as they announced that King Mo was out, I was like, Phil Davis is winning this tournament. Oh, yeah. And that's the trouble with tournaments. People get hurt. Yeah, I mean... To make it worse, is Bellator just did this tournament and World Series of Fighting is about to do an eight-man tournament. One night? Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. 
for the number one contender for Justin Gaethje's title, who beat um, Palomino, which we'll talk about in a minute, which was a great fight. Great fight again. Again, these guys fight. Justin's incredible. But, um, yeah, Phil Davis, you know, he wins by knockout, and it's like it looks better for the UFC than anybody else. UFC's like, hey, we just sent our guy over there, and he wins. Mm-hmm. He wins your, he, you know, he's winning your number one spot, and he's probably going to get your, your title. He, he's, I don't know about that one. Hey, Phil Davis is a tough guy to beat. Um, It'll be boring as shit, correct, but he'll win, maybe. I well, mean, but then again, we just saw uh, Tito Ortiz in the final. Well, Tito Ortiz had no business in that championship fight, and we saw why. He did okay. I mean, he Tito did better than I thought he would. Yeah, he still got Washington in the first round, the Liam McGeary. So yeah, he got inverted. He got choked out by an inverted triangle, triangle. and Which he was dope. It was, it was sick to see. I mean, McGeary's got long limbs. He's he's he's. Uh, Top shelf light heavyweight. Him and Phil Davis will be an interesting fight to see. It just sucks because now we don't know where King Mo fits into any of this. Because now he's got to wait. He has to get healthy. I mean, you know, I don't know if he broke his rib or just fractured it or cracked it or what, but it just sucks because him and Phil Davis is a fight that everybody wanted to see. Yeah. Now, now that we got that out of the way, then we have the glory aspect of this. The glory aspect of this show sucked. Yeah, that's Kevin. It's a weird, weird thing to mesh together. I mean, it just wasn't really fun to watch. Gilbert Melendez's wife, and it was like, Paul Daly's fight was like, whatever. Like, these fights are all, it was really confusing that it was there. I'd rather just see them fight in an MMA fight. It just kind of screwed up the whole pacing of the show. Yeah. It's like, now nah, we're going to glory. Now, what I did like about Bellator is the completely over-the-top production. Um, well, I can't think of her name. Making the announcements. Uh, bringing that whole old pride feeling back. It just, if if... It felt big, and it made it feel important and different from the UFC. Yeah, which you have to find. You it, it, exactly, but still, it seemed choppy. <laughs> uh, it was. It was choppy. It, it, the back and forth. You know what would be dope though? I wouldn't mind seeing a wrestling match, kind of with that setup, where you have one ring and then another ring, and you kind of go back and forth. Like I, I wouldn't, wouldn't mind that. Like everyone gets a different view, different perspective. Maybe one ring has a cage, one ring doesn't. Like something super dope. I think it could work for wrestling. Or uh, you just simultaneously have matches and just do a split screen night where you have like all divas, all regular, and just go. That's just too. That'd be so bananas. Sensory overload, okay? Because now hey, you have, you have two commentary it. teams trying to call these things. Did you Have you ever watched the World War Three Battle Royals in WCW? No. Where they have three rings and it's like absolute chaos. And the commentary, uh, is it three rings or two rings? I can't remember. Absolute chaos. Sounds amazing. It's it's really not. Because after, <laughs> it sounds great on paper. They made it for people like me. And as a kid, you're like, yeah, this is great. And they start doing it, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? There's just too many people. Fly- and the commentators can't figure out what's going on. They can't see anything. It's no good. So I don't want to see that there. Now, going back to Bellator. I, again, I like the setup. I felt like everything was, it felt big and important. And then Glory came and just muddled everything up. But then... We got the announcement that Fedor is back. Yes. But he's not with Bellator. No. He's with some unnamed Japan promotion. Correct. Throwing just billions of yen at him. <laughs> Fighting an unnamed fighter on New Year's Eve, which will be on Spike TV. So Spike TV wins, right? Kind of. What does this mean in the grand scheme of things? I'd... He took the big payday that UFC wasn't offering him. And then now if he wins, then maybe he could be in UFC. Or who knows what the negotiations were. Maybe Dana says, hey, 
don't sign with anyone, but show us you can still fight because we're not going to just put you in here to get killed. So have a tune-up fight, prove it, and then we'll sign you and we can rock. See, I don't think I don't think it's like that at all. I think Fedor's management team priced themselves out and rolled with a better deal. And if I'm Dana, I don't want you. I'm done. I'm good. Like, I've been chasing, like, if I'm Dana White and the Fatidas, I've been chasing Fedor since pride. He's the white whale, though. I watched him go to strike force. Like, I watched him, and then I watched him lose. And Fedor is a legend who people who've watched MMA before MMA had the big boom will consider Fedor to be better than Andrew Silva when it comes to the greatest fighter of all time. How does your favorite, the, the best fighter of all time, never set foot in a UFC octagon? It's a little shaky. I mean, it's like taking an ABA basketball player and saying he's the best of all time. Yeah, it's like ta- or, it's, it, it's like taking Earl Manigault, right, and saying what he or <laughs> Pee Wee Kirkland. And I wrote an article on Share Dog about shout this. Shout out to Pee Wee. <laughs> Pee Wee Kirkland was people was like, oh, he would have killed in the NBA, but he never he couldn't give up the hustling game. He couldn't give up the street life, and he never played. So all we'd have are corner boy stories about like Pee Wee could have killed. You could have yeah. been better than Pee Wee making what, change. And th- that's what we have with Fedor now. Fedor is going to be a story for ne- from now on where people's like, Fedor would have destroyed Randy Couture. He would have beat Brock Lesnar. We will never know. And it's better that way because he would have probably lost. He would have probably lost, but it, it, we just needed, if you're going to be the best, you're going to have to compete against the best. And the UFC. A lot, watching a lot of Ric Flair. Yeah. And Charlotte. And tears. Of vodka <laughs> and booze. Ric Flair looks like he reeks of liquor in the morning. It's a lot of years in the making there. Yeah. But, um,. I just Fedor. I, if I'm, I just don't want to see him in an octagon. I don't want to see him in the UFC, and I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to see this now. I'll pass on it. Well, I think World Series of Fighting's card, top to bottom, was a little bit better than Bellator's. Oh yeah, if it, it was, a, it was a good card. It was Phoenix Jones winning? Yeah, and his re- Phoenix deserves from like it. a damn head scissors. Hey. hey, win however you gotta win. Hey, however you gotta win. His first fight was competitive, so it's nice to see he's not really a joke though. Hey, he's going back to fighting crime in the mean streets of Washington. So. Do he you think someone like two days after? Did he? Yeah. Good old Phoenix Jones. Um, the rest of the car, like Brian Foster knocking uh, LaRue Burley out in 30 seconds, caught him with, like, I think it was a right hook, put him to sleep. Uh, immediately, everybody wants to put him there in there with Justin Gagey. Uh, Justin Gagey. That's might, the new thing to do. Let, let's yeah. just put people in there. Yeah. No one's going to beat him right now. No, Gagey. Unless he just moves to the UFC because he's that caliber. Gagey's one of those guys who is, is he's kind of funny to watch because. He gets hurt. He's kind of like Chris Wyman. He takes some punishment, and then it's like he's not going down. He's going to come back and kill you. And Palomino caught Gagey early in their fight with some great shots, but Gagey's wrestling, uh, Gagey's pace, and then Gagey's short right hand put Palomino to sleep. And Palomino can do nothing but give him a hug after the fight. Like, good shit, man. You knocked me out. Um, I'd love to see Gagey in the UFC, but, you know, I'm glad. Like, World Series, both World Series and fighting in Bellator are establishing themselves as alternatives. And I didn't feel like I missed the UFC. And both of those shows are way more anticipated than what we're about to watch this weekend with Roy Nelson and Josh Barnett in Japan at Fight Night. Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, the UFC is stretched really thin right now, and we know that. And their next show is really just UFC 192. <laughs> and yeah. everything outside of that is like, eh. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, I mean, this weekend... a seat filler, which is cool. Um, I'm not complaining about it. If they want to do that instead of packing cards, I'm, I'm fine with it. Their roster's grown, but that's why we are happy to have stuff like World Series of Fighting and the occasional Bellator card. Uh, I don't know. I just... This fight was really good, 
but I'm just ready to see Justin move on. Like I want to see him against the best. Like I, everyone's like that. Every time I see someone like who's dominant, I want to see them against the best. Well, and uh, Branch deserves kind of another shot. I mean, it's they've grown. They're better fighters. Let's let's see what they have. Yeah, the difference with with David Branch is that I think he kind of gets mauled against the UFC's top shelf light heavyweights and middleweights. Um, he's still a good fighter. He's clearly accelerated his game to another level, but. That caliber of middleweights in the UFC right now would eat him for lunch. I just want to see him test it. But why test it when I just saw they both made 100000 But that's the other thing. Plus sponsorships, which the UFC doesn't have anymore. And we don't know what performance bonuses they get from their stuff. So, I mean, you're walking away with 150000 maybe. And plus sponsorships, you're around the 200000 250000 range. You're not getting that in the UFC nah, unless you're a champion. You're getting these garbage, like, you know, how many, your 10 years, the Reebok deal. You right, get like 40 Gs. Yeah, it's, it's right. fight. Right Maybe. now, it's just, you 30 know, Gs. stay where you're at, you know, huh? until the situation is improving, they have to have you. Like, in Justin Gagey's, uh, where he's at, I prefer to see him kind of run the table in World Series of Fighting and force the UFC to come after him, you know, yeah. in the sense that it, it could backfire because I, at one point I thought Michael Chandler was the guy to beat at lightweight. And was going to be dangerous in the UFC, and then he lost. But uh, you know, but you you got to run the table and make the UFC come after you. I mean, look at Ben Askren. Ben Askren's out here in one FC, about to have a rematch. Clearly, probably the best, easily the best welterweight the UFC doesn't have. Easy, best wrestler, maybe of that. Probably in all division. of MMA. Yeah. probably in all of MMA. <laughs> clearly in that weight class. Though. Yeah, easily in that weight class. Oh, yeah. Um Askren, you know, but he teaches <laughs> like he, he teaches an entire gym wrestling. But there's no while fighting. There's no sense in Askren trying to ask to be in the UFC. Make them come after you and make them have to throw the, the everything at you. Because eventually the UFC is going to need somebody to legitimize these heavyweights and these uh, these, these fighters. And somebody's going to say, "Well, you didn't fight this guy. Mm-hmm. Well, Justin Gage is out there. How are you like weight champion? You haven't fought Justin Gage. who's had however many title defenses he's racked up by then." So I like I love World Series of Fighting and Bellator's alternatives. I love that Bellator's kind of separated itself, even though I hated the glory aspect of the card. World Series of Fighting, I think, is like just it feels like Ring of Honor. Like I'm watching World Series of Fighting, yeah, it I seems feel like, like pure MMA. Yeah, like <laughs> like these guys are just they're yeah. fighting, and there's really nothing else to it. No glamour and glitz, no mainstream, no strobe lights. Like Bellator, they can do all that old pride. Yeah, Bellator shit. is like TNA. Like yeah, they, I mean it's like old pride. It feels yeah. like you know the whole pride, the theatrics, and everything. That's great for what they're doing. So two great alternatives. All right, let's finish up with some boxing before we get out of here. Light uh, week, light week. Yep, Deontay Wilder. Coming light out. week, light week. Who does anybody do care? Exactly. Do hoppers. I'm, I'm going to be hopping on that conference call yesterday. I think. Well, I'm talking to him on the phone tomorrow, um, oh, and I really go. have nothing to ask him about his fight. Do hoppers? No, I'm talking to you. Were going to talk to do hoppers? No, I was going to talk to both of them on a conference call. And I oh, missed no, it by no. mistake. I'm, I'm talking to Deontay. But, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I don't know who is. And all I really have to ask Deontay is like, can we enough of these softballs? It's Klitschko. Is it's Klitschko or like are you facing Klitschko or Tyson Fury? Or do you really take Fury you, off a loss to Klitschko though? Well, you actually probably put Deontay Wilder in with Alexander Povetkin. And that's that's a more intriguing. Like if you hold the belt, you can't fight bums in your backyard. Like if I just kick if I kick my little like little kids' ass in the backyard of my house, sooner or later people are gonna be like, Stop picking on little kids. Go, yeah. Like you're a champion. Like go fight somebody your own side. So I don't care about this fight this weekend. I'll watch it to see. All I'm really watching for is is Deontay Wilder gotten any worse since his last fight? Because he got touched a lot by Molina. Oh, he did. He did. And uh, what was should have been an easy KO. Right. 
He got touched a lot and went longer than it's supposed to be. Let's see if he just gets Duhapis out of here. Yeah, Duhapis ass out of the damn ring. Get his <laughs> ass out of here. Uh, what else? Uh, Floyd. Well, pay-per-view yeah. numbers down. I mean, not surprisingly, they're talking between four hundred and five hundred thousand. That's not which bad. is still not, That's not bad. bad. And you know, they're like people are saying, well, you know, Showtime. They lo- no, they didn't lose any money. What Manny do like eight hundred? Like him and Floyd? What eight hundred thousand pay-per-views? It was eight hundred thousand. How many did they do? Vanny and Floyd? Yeah. They did like 5.6 million. They didn't do 5.6 million pay-per-views, did they? Damn, look. I think I wrote that article. 5.6? I believe it. That's it, a drastic it, it actually, drop actually. But I mean, nothing was going to do that. Nothing was going to do Mayweather-Pacquiao numbers. That's a fight that everybody wanted to see. Not, not just me and you as fight fans. Like, moms and dads were like, who is this Floyd Mayweather and Pacquiao guy? People want to see that. Floyd Mayweather against Andre Berto, nobody wanted to see that. Nobody. Are you looking it up? Damn, yeah. 5.6 million papers. I'm on buys. the money. I know my shit. 5.6 million and you drop off the 400,000. Yeah, that's that's not good. It's tough sledding, man, but there was really nothing they could do. But Oh, okay. I didn't write that article. Ha. Huh, that's why I didn't know it off the top of my okay, head. Okay, brag about that. I missed it. Okay, well, I'm just saying. Shit. But five Officially point- does 4.4 million pay-per-view buys. But it was projected for 5.6. It hit 4.4, which is crazy. Which is four ridiculous. million pay per view buy drop off. Which is that'll hit you in a wallet. But it hits who in the wallet? They already made up all that money. The Pacquiao Mayweather fight made up Floyd's contract. Yeah. So yeah, so he does 400,000 against Andre Berto, and he still Floyd didn't lose any money. He made another 30 million dollars, guaranteed. After he just put in 200 and what 25 million somewhere in that yeah. neighborhood in his pocket. I'm sure after everything was said and done, he reached like the 50 mil range. Whatever he did. Um, Andre Berta was on the Breakfast Club sounding salty. Uh, you know, if I didn't know he was going to run that he much. Run. Have you watched the Floyd Mayweather fight, Andre Berto? You've never seen a guy fight. Again. Nah, clearly. He's. Anyway. That's no, what everyone says. That's their excuse. Yeah, no, he and ran. We don't have to much. hear it anymore. No, learn how to um, cut off the ring, guys. Learn how to cut off the ring. I think on Thursday, there's a media workout at the Mayweather gym. I'm, at three o'clock for next week's yeah, fights. Yeah, which will be right. Right. Well, we'll probably record the podcast before the fights that day. Yeah, definitely next Tuesday. Uh, we'll be on location from boxing, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Always like uh, being somewhere and just getting in the environment. It's weird having a fight on Tuesday night, but whatever. Yeah, hey, we got to do it. That is work. Uh, before we get out of here, though, our fan appreciation show. Something I really want to been doing. I teased it last week. So this is how you get involved. We have a Twitter. At the corner LSN, we have individual Twitters. This will also work. You at us, tell us where you're listening from, whatever state or city it may be. Tell us where you listen, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, your mama's backseat on her radio. Tell us how you listen to us because we're interested in that. We want to kind of see how you guys are receiving the information. And then... Tell us your favorite episode. We all have crazy names. God, you already know what the favorite episode hey, everybody's going to be. You don't have to use the entire name. You can just tell us what we're talking about. Tell us what your favorite episode was. Fit that all into a nice little tweet, and we're going to choose three people who do that. And we'll DM you and get all your information, and you will be our guest for next week's show. We'll give you all the info, and we'll do three different segments. So we'll see. Like, hey, do you like our wrestling portion? We're talking wrestling when you're on. Do you want to talk boxing? Do you want to talk MMA? Are we talking hip-hop? Whatever it may be, we'll see what you guys want to talk, and then we'll have three different guests. This is all a great idea, especially because next week is relatively slow in every aspect. Yeah, man, and this is a good time for you guys to let Andreas know how crazy he is. 
It's not a goddamn Mikel episode, by the way. The people are going to be here for me. They're going to tell you that they're on my side, and I only speak real shit. <laughs> you shitting me? <laughs> you lost your shit, The right? people will speak. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to pick somebody who's going to be a fan of yours. Somebody out there. Somebody has to be. I don't know who that idiot they're is. They're out there. They're okay. out there. I didn't mean to call any of you Kel fans idiots, but you... Well, you guys are the real. But you might be. <laughs> so do that. So hit us up at the corner LSN or at Kel Dansby. Or at Andreas Hale. Let us know where you're listening from, what platform you're listening on, and your favorite episode. And then we'll pick one of you guys, for, or three of you, for next week. And uh, that's how we'll do the show. Be ready, man. If you're going to come here to argue, you came to argue with the wrong one if it's me. You can argue with Kel, though. He doesn't make it. Bring sense. up Triple G, Future Hive, or the Bella should hold the belt. And you're golden with Andres. Yeah. <laughs> the hell with okay. brunch. That's my statement. We're out until next week. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. Can't wait to pick three fans. And I yeah, uh, hope you enjoyed fun. this episode. All right. We're out. Peace. Look to the sky, hoping it will bleed like reality's a bitch, and I heard that she bites the corner. I wish I could keep this feeling.